What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome to Socialette, your go-to source for bite-sized lessons in launching and online marketing. I'm your host, Steph Taylor, and I'm a corporate dropout turned launch strategist, helping you launch your digital products simply and successfully so you can reach more people, grow your audience, and become the go-to brand in your space. Want to swipe my signature launch framework? Download my free ebook, The Complete Roadmap for a Killer Launch at stephtaylor.co forward slash roadmap. Now sit back, relax and enjoy the show and don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss any of my latest episodes released every Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Ever wondered what unicorns eat for breakfast? Or maybe what they use to keep their skin looking so flawless? Well, even if I don't know those answers, I can tell you something equally as interesting and unicorn-related. Over 20% of all unicorn startups are using HubSpot, and for good reason. HubSpot's all-in-one platform levels up your sales, software, and support so you can grow beyond your wildest dreams, boosting leads and ramping sales along the way. They even have a constantly evolving collection of resources to help startups scale. Plus, with the HubSpot for Startups program, you can save up to 90% off your first year. I'll admit, it does sound too good to be true. But unlike that majestic and also incredibly fictitious unicorn, HubSpot for Startups is all real. To see if you're eligible to save on HubSpot and take your growth to new heights, visit HubSpot.com slash startups. Steph Taylor, this is a pleasure. Oh, are we recording? <laughs> we are recording. Oh, well, welcome to episode 300 of Socialette, guys. Wait, but don't like, wait, no, no, this is Rolls Reverse, Steph. <laughs> this is, I'm the host on your show so you're the guest you right. don't you don't you don't introduce yourself on the show that's not how it works okay well then you've got to tell my guests that it's episode tell my listeners that it's episode 300 welcome them to the podcast and let them know what they're in store in store for today so is that how it works is that that's how, it, how works? it works so you so you always welcome them to the show mm-hmm. and then you you tell them what it's about what's what's going to happen is that correct right Right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Social Ed Podcast. Uh, <laughs> this is bizarre. <laughs> if you if you think that Steph's voice has changed, uh, it has a little bit because she has she has uh, refined her voice over three hundred episodes. So, welcome to episode three hundred. Mm-hmm. It's a pleasure. My name is Ronsley. It's. Um, Pleasure to do this interview. I hear you're nervous. Why is that? Because I know you and I know the kind of questions that you like asking. And it's incredibly vulnerable actually just to even be interviewed in front of my own listeners, let alone knowing the kinds of questions that you ask and the kinds of conversations that we have. (laughs) So this is incredibly scary for me. And if I sound nervous, it's probably because I am. So... Yeah, hit me with the questions. Hit me with the hard questions. So, ladies and gentlemen, that's what you're in store for. Not like a weird conversation, but just mm. a different kind of conversation uh, that I suppose you probably haven't heard this perspective on the Social Up podcast before. Yeah. Steph Taylor, let's start with this. Um, when you create your show you talk about the welcome process right you talk Mm. about how you welcome your guests to the show um why is it so important that you kind of tell them what's coming up i feel like people make that decision as to whether they're going to listen to the whole episode in those first few minutes yes they can read the show notes but I feel like if they don't know what they're going to get out of the episode, it's very easy for them to mentally tune out or find something better to listen to, find something different to listen to. And then I guess there's also the part of me that's like, oh, that's the done thing, right? That's what everyone does with their podcasts. I never really questioned that. It's fascinating, though, but it's like it's one of the things that I've been coming 
across a lot mm. talking to people these days where they have been doing it for a long time and they've been talking about things that are just basic to engagement which uh, because podcasting is so new and then anyone that does 10 episodes lands up becoming an expert and also like you know if people think they're social media experts because they've been on facebook for 10 years so um i'd love i mean that context out of the way when you go to a barbecue these days that um how do you introduce yourself What's a barbecue? I haven't been to a barbecue in a while. <laughs> a virtual barbecue. I actually think the last, like the last um, barbecue style event that I went to was your fortieth. Holy, yeah. So okay, yeah. so how did you like? I can't remember. What did you say I can't when you introduced? So so okay. Well, how would you introduce yourself now? I tell people I'm a launch strategist. I'm a digital product launch strategist and I'm a podcast host. I help people to launch digital products and podcasts so that they can reach more people, grow their impact, create more profit and have more freedom in their businesses and their lives. If I remove that entirely and I said to you, Steph Taylor, you cannot use your business acumen to introduce yourself, what would you say? I have a really cute puppy. I feel like those are the two defining things of my life, my business and my dog. (laughs) Um, (laughs) What would I say? Oh, goodness. That's so hard because I think we as business owners build so much of our, our identity around our business or our business becomes our identities. And I was actually reading a really interesting article last week um, in a New Zealand newspaper about uh, written from the perspective of an insolvency accountant talking about the emotional costs of business owners having to shut their businesses down and how it's not just about you know the fact that they are probably going to be unemployable because nobody really wants to employ an entrepreneur um, and aside from the fact that you know they're going to struggle to make money the real cost the, the hidden cost is the emotional cost of having to shed this identity that you've built around your business so I think that's something that far too many of us business owners do is we build this identity around our businesses. And I don't know if that's something you can relate to with your restaurant. So for my listeners who haven't listened to the interview that I did with Ronsley like two years ago now, Ronsley used to have a restaurant and he had to close it down. Well, it wasn't, I didn't have to close it down. It was yeah. shot. It was shot for me really. Mm-hmm. Um, so, ladies and gentlemen, if you haven't noticed how Steph took over host duties. <laughs> Control freak. Sorry. I noticed. Um, but that was my first business, and I learned a lot from that. I, mm. uh, in hindsight, you can kind of look it back and go, I couldn't have paid more money to learn that lesson. <laughs> um, but, yeah, it was it was shot for me overnight, and I, I, th- I think it was like one of those relationships that, you know, you... <laughs> Like I would have kept going, you know. That's yeah. how, that's the kind of person I am. Like, um, so in hindsight, it was great that it got shot for me mm. and um, the lessons I'd learned. And and so to your point about the emotional cost for entrepreneurs, I I believe that this is the time to be the entrepreneur. Well, if you're the real entrepreneur, then entrepreneur mm. properly, right? Yeah. Like you know, you're not employable. It's the truth. Mm. We are. We we. I had five jobs in six months at that point. Yeah. Um. So I wonder how, from an identity perspective, because that broke down all my well, not all my identities, but like the big ones. I was married three months, mm-hmm. married. Like the identity of the husband, the identity of the entrepreneur, the failed sort of. Uh, um. Mm. Why did he go into food sort of thing? He's got mm. these two master's degrees. Um, so to my point, to the point that how you've switched this around, let's talk about that from an identity perspective, right? When I say all these things, what comes to mind for you, like from an identity, like how does that relate to, to your journey as an entrepreneur? Because would you say you're a new entrepreneur? I don't feel like I'm a new one anymore. If you'd asked me a year ago, I would have said yes. Um, but then to your point, yeah, like I 
also, I mean, my first business, I shut it down as well. So I also had that like failed entrepreneur identity for a while there. And I had to go and get a job because my business wasn't paying the bills. And, you know, like at some point you do actually have to pay the bills. You have to put a roof over your head. So I did have that identity as well. And it's really interesting when you talk about how your restaurant was shut for you and how you would have just kept going. I can really relate to that because my first business, I kept going well after I should have let go because of that emotional attachment to that business, right? That, that identity and that fear of saying to people, well, actually, yeah, like I failed. I am a failed entrepreneur, but I don't know. Like, I feel like often we're very quick to say, okay, well, like I failed, therefore I am a failure. So like we take on that failure as our identity when maybe that failure is just one little stepping stone on the way to who we need to become. I think it's a bit of a bit of a mindset shift there. But obviously that's hard because even when, even when you introduce yourself and you kind of think about mm. your identity even right now, after, after that journey that you've had um, – it's hard to separate, right? It's hard to kind of go, well, uh, in the moment, I suppose. And I forgot that, mm. you know, uh, even if on my phone, Steph's box still pops up. <laughs> As so a I, side note, uh, my, my old business was called the sugar-free box. <laughs> That's where the name comes from. <laughs> well, let's talk about the sugar-free box. So that was yeah. the first business. Is that yeah. the, Was that the first business? That was the first business. Let's talk about that as the idea because it was a great idea. Um, I even I got a few boxes. I did a few posts for it. I remember mm, you gifted a few. I think. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about that as an idea first, mm. and then how you put that into play. How I'm going to stop, and I'm just going to let you narrate that story from conception to you know shutting it down. Yeah. Okay. So I was, this was 2015, end of 2015. I was in my corporate job in corporate finance, not really loving life. It was the dream job. It was the job that, you know, like a hundred graduates applied for each year and one person got the role and I got that role. And I was sort of in this space where I was like, well, I should be loving it. This is everything I've worked towards in my career. Like this is what I should be doing with my life. Why don't I love it? And around the same time, I started listening to business podcasts. I started getting a little bit into like health and wellness. I actually stopped eating sugar because at one point every afternoon, so my boss would go at lunchtime and buy a big like bulk family pack of chocolates. And every afternoon I would eat those chocolates because I was so miserable with my job. And it was just like that, the sugar hit that just made me feel so much better, helped me get through the afternoons. So I quit sugar and... After that, I was like, okay, why is it so hard to find snacks that don't have sugar in them? And like, I'm pretty clued up. I can read a nutrition label. I can read the ingredients. I know what's good and I know what's not good. But your average person out there has no idea. So when they go and quit sugar, they're like, I don't know if I can eat this, if I can't eat this. So I created a subscription box business where people could sign up on a subscription and every month they would get a box delivered with sugar-free snacks and ingredients and, you know, like baking mixes, that kind of thing delivered to their door. So I started that officially at the start of 2016 and two weeks out from the launch date, I got incredibly sick, landed myself in hospital. On my first day out of hospital, I still had another week or so that I spent on sick leave because I was just like that sick. On my first day out of hospital, my boss asked me when he could drop off my laptop. And in my mind, I was just like, I need to get out of this job. Like this is not a healthy place for me to be. So I quit my corporate job before my business was really even viable. It was it was profitable from day one just because I was good with the numbers and I made sure that everything added up, but the amount of profit was not anywhere near enough to sustain my lifestyle. And like couple that with the fact that six months prior I had gone and got a mortgage to buy an apartment, a mortgage based on my corporate salary. So yeah, it was it was a really fun, very stressful time starting that up. Um from there, I 
realized pretty quickly that to scale it was going to be a whole nother kettle of fish. So what I was doing was I was physically packing those boxes myself every month to ship out. And it was exhausting. Like picture a tiny apartment with just rows and rows and rows of boxes lining the floors. And that was what happened every single month to send out the orders. And the problem was that for me to outsource the shipping, A, it was an extra cost on top of my already really, really slim margins. Like for each box that I sold, I think I only made about $4 profit. So to then take another hit of $2 off that, that's a huge loss. Um, And also the fact that no third-party logistics companies would even talk to me until I was sending out a 1,000 orders a month, which meant that I would need to be packing 999 boxes every month in my friggin' living room of my two-bedroom apartment before I could outsource it. So I kind of hung on to it for a little while, and eventually, I think it was the start of 2017, um, I'd just come back from two weeks in Japan. I went on a ski trip to Japan, and the whole time I was there, all I could think about was like, I can't. I, I'm. I need to be sending out customer orders right now. Like I had all of these things going through my head, and I just couldn't switch off. It was so stressful this entire time. Like I'd be in the middle of a ski run, worried about you know the customer that had just ordered a box that wouldn't get it shipped to them for another week. So I realized pretty quickly that. This product-based business that I'd started wasn't connected with my bigger vision, which was, you know, time freedom, financial freedom, location freedom. Those are my big three, like, I guess, North Stars, you could call them. And I realized pretty quickly that this wasn't aligned with what I wanted. And I had to make the really tough call to close it down. So as part of all that that happened there was a part where you decided to go and get a job yes that's how we met that's how we met so about three months after I quit my corporate job I realized that the bills wouldn't pay themselves I ran out of savings and I decided okay well I need to go and get a job I was pretty good at the old, you know, marketing thing, given that I'd been doing it for my own business for for six months at that point. And I went and applied for a digital marketing role for a legal recruitment small business that were based in the same co-working space as the dude that's interviewing me today. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, and and so there's this backstory, right? And when you narrate it now... How does that make you feel? Because when I when I hear you say all those things, I think of uh, I cooked for a birthday party with one of my my left arm in a in a sling, mm. right? I uh, I remember Rochelle and I did a fiftieth birthday party in in Toowoomba, and I had like a hundred and two fever, mm. and I was like burning up and it was it was crazy but we Mm. you know we we did it and um and and those are the things that i remember so when you're Mm. when you're thinking of when you go back and you remember that story um and you recount it how does that where does that sit yeah i remember packing orders and then just the next day not being able to get out of bed because my back was so sore and this happened every month Um, I remember, so after I was in hospital, I was in hospital with a kidney infection. After that, I was, I had kidney pain every afternoon for the next year until I had surgery on it. Right. So I was in serious pain every afternoon and I just remember like still having to pack boxes while I was in pain. Um, I remember at one point I had to get a storage unit because my apartment was too small to keep packing boxes in there. And having to go in there after hours so I could line the boxes up and down the hallways. And there was no air conditioning in the storage block in the middle of summer in Brisbane. It gets pretty hot, pretty sweaty. And I just remember thinking, like, why did I quit my corporate job where I actually used my brain to be here packing boxes? 
Um, I'm sure there are a few other stories and I'm actually going through this process now while I'm writing my book. I'm going through the process of trying to remember these stories and it's actually kind of funny like how our brain just blocks out these traumatic experiences (laughs) because I can't like I know there were so many times when things just did not go to plan and when I thought that it was the absolute end of the world at the time and now I just can't recall any of them. It's funny when when you tell me when we met and I went back and th- think about gravity co working space and mm. and at the time, um, at the time when I got into gravity, it was we were still paying out the 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 debt from the from the restaurant that yeah. shut right. So even though there was money coming in, there was no money, and it mm. was it was crazy because uh, Rochelle, we uh, the hot water at our house broke the hot water oh. unit. And we didn't have money to get it fixed. We didn't have money to replace it, right? So this was during the winter. We, Rochelle and I would, primarily for Rochelle, because I used to have a cold water shower and I Mm. I would manage, but she had to wash her hair. So we'd go to the gravity toilet on a (laughs) Thursday after nine o'clock to the men's section because I had only a swipe card for the men's side, right? So she could have a shower. Even you don't know that. Wow. Oh, wow. I'm sure I could think of things like that. But yeah, my brain just doesn't want to... uh, Like, I've been trying to think of these stories for my book, and it's just, I can't access them. They'll pop out. They will. They will. So what, when you start to think about experiences that you start to recollect that you went, oh, well, I I, I almost forgot these. What are the Mm. ones that come to mind? Mm, I have a list of them on my computer, but little ones actually, like when I first started working for Mike, so that was who I was working for, the legal recruitment company. And when they decided they wanted to start a whole new business and I was tasked with the job of designing their entire new brand identity. (laughs) I'm not a graphic designer. I had not designed a brand identity in my life before. And somehow we managed to make it work. Little things like that. I remember like Mike would ask me to do something and I'd be like, yeah, sure. And then just Google how to do it and figure it out. And it's kind of funny actually, because I mean, this is another tangent, but you realize like you can literally do anything if you just say yes and then figure it out. And that's, I didn't I think, get that. Could you try again? This has been built. Do you feel like that was not you before or was that always you or did you hmm. learn that? I don't have an answer for from? that. Is there something else I, I can help with? I think it's always been me to some extent. Um, I've always found myself like in jobs where... So, I mean, my, my two jobs that I had prior to starting a business, both my corporate jobs, I was quite out of my depth. So, my first one was an undergrad role while I was still studying and I had never worked in an office environment before, never done anything corporate related. And I remember my mentor wasn't particularly friendly. She made it very clear to me on day one that she was very busy and that I shouldn't disturb her. So I basically was out there figuring things out on my own. Um, Again, my second role that my mentor was incredibly busy. He was great, but he was very busy and I had to figure things out on my own. Um, so yeah, I guess in some ways, like that's what I've always done. And it's been, I think it's been probably a blessing because in this business thing, I mean, we're all figuring it out. There's nobody to say, well, this is what you have to do. I mean, there are plenty of people telling you what you have to do, but you don't have to do what they do to be successful. Yeah, of course not. I mean, yeah, I mean, but that comes with like, you know, execution maturity, I suppose. It comes Mm. with like um, being able to have done it and and experienced it and and felt it and then moved through it. And and my worry, I suppose, right now with having these conversations and, and just and making sure that we have the right conversations is like how much of the world gets to see the the edited version of ourselves, mm-hmm. right? It's like we edit so much to the point that uh, 
sometimes just saying I can't, re- you know, can't remember something mm. because it's such a easy way to kind of go blank. Uh, actually stops us from going to these places where um, to be honest it is just something that has to be looked at for long enough um, you've been through something you've been through so, sort of some some similar sort of insights you've mm-hmm. had over the last few months what, are, what have those been like for you yeah um first i just want to touch on the brick wall or like the wall analogy so um after covid hit i started actually seeing a therapist weekly just because i mean for nothing else but the fact that i could just pay a stranger to listen to me (laughs) vent and my friends wouldn't hate me because you know like you could only vent to your friends so much it's so good i think everyone should go to therapy honestly Um, but one thing I've noticed with her is we'll often be going down like a rabbit hole and I'll come up against this brick wall where my brain is like, no, we can't access that thought. We need to keep you safe. So I, in some ways, writing my book, I want my book to be the unedited version. My book's not for business owners. My book is for people like me five years ago who were who are in that job and who are thinking like, there's got to be more to life. And they only see the edited versions of everyone's businesses on social media and they think that could never be me. So where was I going with that? I can't remember. Um, the Your other part of the question was some of the discoveries that I've made over the last few months. Let's let's hold hold that for okay. a second while, while I just address what you just said. Because we all hit brick walls right Mm -hmm. i was on a panel recently and i only spoke about it again this morning uh i think we might know this the person petra invited me to to be on the panel and um it was really fascinating because the question that she asked me was on the lines of you it seems like you got all this stuff together how did Mm -hmm. you manage to put this all in play (laughs) and and there was a part of me that almost was going to answer the question, but I, I, I'm not even sure what part took over. But I did want I, I, I said out loud, which is I don't know. I would have not done this. I think a while ago. But anyway, I said out loud, uh, Petra. We haven't seen each other in like you know a couple <laughs> of years. What you know of me right now is all you see on social media. That's mm. my highlight reel. Like I, I, it's hard for me to go on my highlight reel and tell you that uh, something didn't work out uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was, mm-hmm. you know, going through a hard time. And then I heard myself say all these things. For I'm like, oh, right, there's strangers in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I feel like because other people are sharing things mm. right uh we go too far with social media and i notice people share way too much that no one can do anything about it's more of a <laughs> i don't know like a toilet wall almost you know like um you start to read some stuff and you're like okay you need to go see someone that's uh, just because you still go on facebook i've stopped going on facebook <laughs> yeah, I still go on Facebook. Everything's on Facebook. Like all our groups are on Facebook, mm. and you know, um, I don't know. Instagram hasn't necessarily been my thing, but yeah. uh, but I, I find that uh, I find that when you're talking about the things that um, you don't remember from a traumatic, like mm. whatever, it's it's a trauma, right? I feel like. Uh, those things happen to everyone, whether it is within business or it's in other parts of life. What kind of advice would you have for someone that is like starting to go, oh yeah, I know what she's saying, but I, I don't really know how to put this all together. What do you, what does, does that make sense? They don't really know how to put the whole business thing together? Or? No, how to, how to deal with trauma. Like, for example, like something that comes, it comes against a, mm. a brick wall, right? Like, how do you find ways, obviously you have, you, you mentioned you spoke about a therapist, you come against a brick mm. wall in other ways, in other times, and you just spoke about how resourceful you've been when it comes to being out of your depth, when it comes to the professional side of your mm. life. We've also noticed that when you spoke about 
when you when you introduce yourself, you you heavily identify yourself with the business. But like, if I start to ask you, like, well, there's all these underlying layers to Steph, right? Mm. Um, how when something when you hit a brick wall in general, what are the ways you look? at dealing with that or staying with that or going through that or Mm. this has been something I've really dealt with a lot this year actually and for me it's been trying to figure out what works for me I think what works for me is going to be different to what works for everyone else but it's just a matter of trying and seeing what works journaling is 100% my best way to work through that kind of stuff I find that even still with my therapist, I like filter a little bit or I still come up against those walls because I'm, it feels too vulnerable to share that with somebody else. So journaling's kind of like the, you know, the private place where I can work through that. Um, yin yoga, you reminded me of yin. Um, when we first started catching up again a couple of months ago now, gosh. And so that's, yin's been something that, Throughout the last few years, whenever I've gone through a rough patch, I've started doing it again. And then when things are good, I stop doing it. And, you know, like I went through another rough patch like a month or two ago and I was like, oh, let me start going to Yin again. Ronsley reminded me of Yin. And then I was like, why do I not do this when things are good? So being able to like meditate and get your body into that relaxed state for such a long period of time i find that really helps to bring up a lot of the old stuff that you've just like you know shoved away in that closet or like swept under the rug um i started doing breath work recently similar concept to yin really 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 intense really interesting what else um i think those are the main three ways that i deal with that kind of stuff um but it, it's really figuring out what works for you. Sure, I mean, of course, and 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 I think everyone, anyone listening, is just just looking for like different things to try, and sometimes. Uh, we can be guilty of trying a whole bunch of things and not sticking <laughs> with one as well. Guilty. Um, <laughs> So coming to the point of what you said about, you know, stopping when things are going great, I think it's a normal mm. tendency. And um, so I, I, I think I should talk about this now because I, I feel like my biggest shift in the last year has been coming across the book about loving myself. Yeah. Right. And, and it has been super fascinating because when I hear you say about what you can tell your therapist, like I'm just doing mm. that to myself now. Mm. I'm at a, like, I'm, I'm actually like, uh, in therapy with my younger self, like almost every day, which is kind of weird. <laughs> oh yeah. Like I've, I, I've noticed, I've, I, I now notice with my thoughts, I'm like, what would my therapist say? And then I like kind of run myself through that dialogue by myself now because of that um but on the point of you reading the book so what was kamal ravikant's book love yourself like your life depends on it yeah so your point on how once you started loving yourself you started attracting better clients um you lost weight i think you said all of that i realized i had a bit of a moment where i was like do i really actually love myself and I realize, like, I do when things are good, but as soon as things are bad, then I'm my own worst enemy. I'm my harshest critic. So now something that I've built into my daily practice, and I haven't told you this, you're going to be super proud. So every morning when I wake up, I, um, I journal. So I do three things I'm grateful for this morning, and now I do five things I love about myself. And every evening, I do three things I loved about today, which usually ends up being like five or six or seven, because the more you start noticing the things you love about the day, I think the more you start subconsciously creating things that you love about your day. But then I also do five things I loved about myself today. So I'll, you know, it'll be, I love that I had the um, determination to write another 500 words of my book, or I love that I had the courage to pitch that article that felt really scary to pitch. Um, so yeah, that's a new practice I've started doing. Inspired does, by you. Thank you. How does that make you feel? 
is more important like how yeah. how are you processing that because sometimes when i start a new practice especially when it's so far out of my realm of mm. like this is like this is this is kind of magical woo woo stuff right initially it kind of feels really weird like how are you processing all that if there is definitely still a bit of a disconnect and i notice for example, if I write like as one of the things that I love about myself is that I'm thoughtful, then I notice my ego comes in and it's like, but you're not thoughtful. You forgot to send your friend a gift on their birthday. And it thinks of reasons why I'm not. So I then consciously have to be like, but no, like I sent this person flowers or I remembered this thing about this person that I met. So it's like it's such a process of rewiring your brain. And because it's still only something I've been doing for maybe the last week or two. It's still very fresh. So when you hear that voice talking to you, right, when you've written the thing down Mm. and you hear that voice talking back to you, which version of Steph remembers that for the first time? (laughs) Is this a podcast interview or a therapy session? I, I So I decided to take a while to ask the deep questions because I was hoping you'd forget you had the microphone in front of you, but you're so worried about the fact that this is an interview. No, I'm not. I'm not. And now I've had so much coffee that I'm probably speaking like a million miles an hour. No, I think, I think that's an important point because when you look at um, the journey, I think it all comes down to the, mm. the worthiness and the loving ourselves yeah. part. And we look for all these things to like give us parts that we've already spoken about identity mm. worth um, validation validation love um, yeah. you know not being alone so when to ask the question again mm. like when you hear that voice speaking back because you know mm. I know you know I know I know I, I know you know I know <laughs> it's it's definitely younger me probably teenage me um because you know like i feel like certainly my upbringing and like my parents are amazing but they're both very high achievers very successful everyone i was around at school was very overachieving now very successful and it was always like i never felt like i was good enough and the that's been like the real turning point for me or like the real working point for me this year is that now that I've achieved, you know, quote unquote success in my business, it's coming to terms with the fact that, yeah, I'm worthy of it. Yeah, I'm good enough for it. And it's been such a process of working through all of that stuff so that I don't sabotage where I'm at now because I notice like my my biggest struggles in business is not you know how to reach more people and it's not how to run better Facebook ads or hire a team my biggest struggle in business is my own brain and I think for most people it is as well and they just don't realize it if you're enjoying imperfect action I have another podcast recommendation that I think you're gonna love it's called Mistakes That Made Me. It's hosted by Iman Ismail and it's brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. Mistakes That Made Me is the podcast that asks extraordinary business owners to share their biggest business mistake so you know what not to do on your road to success. Now, as you know, I'm a big fan of learning from mistakes that I've made in the past and I'm big about sharing those with you as well. So join Iman as she chats to some of the smartest minds in business about how to push through failure. On the show, she's interviewed some of the same awesome guests that you will have already met on this show, such as Tarzan Kay and Kirsty Fanton. So go on over and listen to Mistakes That Made Me wherever you get your podcasts. I was going to ask how much of this is uh, you worrying that you'd lose what you've built? A lot of it. It's. It felt to me like because my success came so easily, which it really didn't, it just felt like it at the time. Um, but I mean, in reality, it was four years of hard work. But it felt like it came really easily and it shouldn't have been that easy. And I was like, if it can come this easily, it can disappear this easily. And that was the real fear that I had back in April, May, 
this year when my business started taking off, I was like, well, cool. Okay. So what happens when the money stops coming in? And then I realized I was like, okay, you know what? Like, let's say tomorrow all the sales dry up. I have more ideas than I can do anything with, right? I don't have the time to even execute on half of my ideas. I think if I had to start this business from scratch again tomorrow or start a new business from scratch again tomorrow, I could do it and I could do it in half the time because I've been through it before. It's so cool to hear you say that because I think that that's when you come, when it comes down to it, that's what I was talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, if, if you're an entrepreneur, this is the best time for you because you can entrepreneur. And it all comes yeah. down to exactly what you just said mm-hmm. is like, and, and again, Let's talk about this because I feel like uh, in Australia it's been used a lot, uh, but I have imposter syndrome about this. You have Mm -hmm. imposter syndrome for a good reason, a good fucking reason, because you haven't done enough reps and it's it's your brain saying, you know, you need to learn more. Um, Let's talk about that because when you you just – if you when you listen back to this recording and you hear how confident you were in that last statement and you said that like i think that is worth everything to consider that you know that you could be put anywhere yeah and you can be resourceful enough to respond that is a superpower that many people don't have yeah yeah and I like I still suffer from imposter syndrome even though I know I could recreate this from scratch easily or I could recreate it in another industry um even though I know I could do that I still have imposter syndrome but everyone still has imposter syndrome um that is not imposter syndrome that is beginners first try so you, of of, yeah. of course you've not done it before how would you know how it's going to turn out? But you mm-hmm. have the confidence that you'd respond in whatever reaction, whatever yeah. happened. It's not that's not imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is I don't, I don't, I don't deserve this. I don't belong here. I've not done yeah. like that. Is that is? It's a very and we kind of bunch them together. That. I deal with that a lot, and I actually listened to a really interesting TED talk two days ago by um, Mike Cannon Brooks from Atlassian. Mm-hmm. A fantastic TED talk that he did on imposter syndrome. If you haven't watched it, so he and his co-founder, I think, are like number one and number two on Australia's rich list. Like they are incredibly, objectively successful. Yeah, we got number sixteen that just became a client yesterday. That was oh, crazy, oh, low key. <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I know is because that's how, like that's how I know that they are because the, the names yeah. you just said. I was like, oh. Why do I know? Why do I know these names? And that's because we went through the list. Yeah. And, yeah. But yeah, so they own Atlassian. Atlassian owns Trello. Owns Trello now, which is kind of a big deal, especially for an Australian company. Um, but anyway, they he was talking about how they found themselves at some international awards dinner, and they were seated next. At the time, they had seventy employees, and they were seated next to some guy who employed thousands of people. And he said to this guy, he said, "Well, I feel like I don't belong here." Um, and this guy who had thousands of employees said, so I also don't feel like I belong here. So I think the story there is, you know, no matter how successful you get, no matter how long you've been in it, you're always going to feel like there's that, you know, that person that's going to come and knock on the door and be like, game's up. You've been discovered. Um, like, I definitely still feel like that. I mean, I, and this is actually um, one of the, Lists. I'm going to have little lists in my book as well as chapters. I mean, I, I don't even have an editor. I don't have a publisher yet. So, I mean, this could change. But one of the things I started writing out was 15 things I've done in my business that I was not qualified to do. And I ended up with like 30 things because I have not been qualified to do anything that I've done in my business. Ronsley, were you qualified to do anything that you've done in your business? Well, I always find the <laughs> word qualification to be an interesting word mm. because I've got so many different types of qualification, yeah. right? And I've noticed different reactions to the qualifications, <laughs> right? Like from people who who go, oh, well, that's just another degree. Yeah. Which I agree with uh, to, uh, you know, oh, wow, I can't believe you, d- you did that or it's all these different things in between. So qualified is an interesting thing 
term, especially because for me to be a qualified in engineer when I did my Bachelor of Engineering, mm. uh, I gave 64 exams in four years in India to get that degree, which in, yeah. in the Western world, it'd be like, that's like three times the workload, yeah. right? So am I more qualified because I gave more subjects? I don't know. You got the same piece of paper. Right. I got well, that's same, all it is at the end of the day. It's a piece this, of paper. I got the same piece of paper. Then when I got my master's degree, my parents made a big deal out of it because I was the first mm. in the family to ever get a master's degree, right? Mm. So they came here, they went for the, the went for the ceremony and everything. And I didn't like the way they made it such a big deal. So when I got my second one, I didn't tell anyone. I I didn't even pick up my degree certificate. So I don't have my MBA certificate with me because I just, I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't, I've I've got, but here's the point. The point is I started my first business after having a master's of business administration. Mm. And my first business had half a million dollars of debt. Yeah. Now qualification is interesting, right? Because how does it, how long does it take to become a qualified chef? Three years. How long did I take to become a qualified chef? Seven and a half months. Yeah. Same qualification, exact same degree certificate. Mm. So qualified, I think is is a broken term, uh, especially because we mm. are so hard on ourselves when it comes to what qualifies us to do something Hmm. like what qualifies us to do something like here's what i want to ask everyone that's listening and to the to answer your question with another question is like does a mother think oh i'm not qualified to do this for my kid right now so i'm not going to do anything Mm. yeah yeah and it's funny because it's like i also started my business with a bachelor of business and like 95 percent of a master's of business and I still felt like I was not qualified to start a business. And I think had I waited until I felt qualified to start a business or qualified to, you know, create an online course, qualified to launch a podcast, qualified to do anything, write a book, I would never have actually taken any action. I'd still be sitting there like, okay, somebody give me my piece of paper telling me I can start a business now. Right, right. And and, and then that's what I, that's, I mean, to answer that question, I... I don't think I've ever waited for permission to be qualified to do something, you know, mm. like I think somehow um, my, growing up, my mother used to say to me, Ronsley, you're like the jack of all trades and you're <laughs> master of none. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but I think that's actually one of your, one of your strengths. And I think that's actually such a handy strength to have in business. I said this to Rochelle yesterday. I said, I feel like I, have you ever watched Heroes? No. So Heroes is the series that used to run and, you know, it's about normal human beings discovering that they had these superpowers, right? They're mutated um. in some way and it's in the future. And uh, there's this guy whose name is Peter Petrelli. So he's one of the good guys. And his power is that he can absorb other people's power when, <gasps> you know, when they use it. And on the bad side, there's this guy called Sila. He's, he's, the, he's the villain and he can do the same, but he can only acquire someone's power when he kills them and looks into their brain. So he's going around acquiring powers while killing people. And Peter Petrelli is even stronger, but he can't use his power until he learns to deal with the emotional side inside him. Mm. And so sometimes he, his powers switch off. Sometimes only one works. Sometimes and he, he, and, and he's, all he's got to do is figure his past out, figure his heart out, mm. and figure himself out and be comfortable in his body to like be the most powerful. And I feel like that all the time. Mic drop. You know, as marketers, we are part of our training is to find the problems, address them, and then mm. and then um, give someone a solution. And there's a part of me that feels like I'm contributing to the I'm not good enough part of the world, right? Because when I see the marketing that children are exposed to today, including ourselves, right? Mm. Um, everything is, you don't look good enough. 
you're not this size, you don't eat right, you don't live right, you don't have enough freedom. It goes on. I think it depends. There's two ways of marketing, though. There's, you know, really agitating the problem or there's, there's creating the problem for them which is the kind of marketing you're talking about and then really agitating it until it becomes this big gaping wound. And then you're like, oh, here's my product. Let me solve that. But then there's also the flip side where they have a problem. They, the problem needs solving and you have the solution and you're doing them a favor by marketing it to them because otherwise they wouldn't realize that your product is the solution. So you're... you're by keeping that mindset of like, oh, I'm contributing to people not feeling good enough about themselves, if you're letting that hold you back, that's actually doing them a disservice. It's just about how you go about in your marketing messaging. And I think more and more, I feel the responsibility, right? And it's the Mm. responsibility of... um, doing the right thing with the more information that I'm exposed to. And I'm asking the question primarily because it seems like selling has this connotation in the social ed podcast is about marketing, you know, your experience around putting this all together is around marketing. Mm. And one of the most common things I feel in the marketing space is I only want to market because I don't want to sell. Marketing and selling, you, they go hand in hand. You s- Selling doesn't necessarily mean jumping on a sales call with somebody. You sell on your sales page. You sell in your social media posts. You sell in um, the emails that you send to your subscribers. Everything, Every touch point that they're having with you in your marketing is selling. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're jumping on a call with them one-on-one. Um so I think if you're trying to market yourself, but you don't, you're not focusing on how these other touch points are selling for you, then you're wasting so much money. Like if you're running Facebook ads to um, just some random, like just like a blog post with no focus on how that blog post is moving them down the funnel, where is your money going? How is that getting you any return at all? So when you think about return and you think about like people uh, looking at marketing and looking at business, when you mm. think about return, there's all these different versions, right, of what return should should be like because there are people saying that you won't get a return on investment immediately or mm. people saying a whole bunch of different things. How would you How would you ask someone to look at, okay, this activity or this platform or this thing I'm going to invest my time and energy into, how would you want them to look at whether it's worth putting that effort into something like that? I think the first place I would start, and this my answer has changed to this quite a lot in the last year or so. My first place to start would say, like, how does this feel to you does this feel aligned because if it doesn't feel aligned for you to be on youtube or on linkedin or tiktok or wherever just don't do it i mean personally like i'm sure if i was on tiktok it would be a great platform for me i'm sure there's lots of people who are wanting to launch a podcast on tiktok or wanting to launch an online course or whatever and for me every time i've thought about showing up on tiktok i'm like no it just doesn't feel good to me. So I think the first place to start is that. Then the next place to start it, or the next place to look at is, okay, so where is my low-hanging fruit? Where are my audience already hanging out? What content is easy for me to create? You know, what skills do I have? For me, Facebook ads is something I know how to run myself. So that's one of my primary platforms because I don't have to pay an ads agency to do it. I know how to do them myself. Um, I know I should probably outsource them. You've told me this. Everyone tells me this. I'm like, I really enjoy doing them, so I'm not going to outsource them yet. Um, like if you have, if you know that you are very good with spoken word, then a podcast. If you're good on camera, maybe video content on YouTube. If you're a good writer, then maybe blogging. 
it, just look at like your strengths and play to that and look at where yeah your existing audience is. Um, I guess the next thing would be then track everything. So look at how much you're investing in each platform, not just dollars wise, but time wise. And if it helps, you need to maybe assign a dollar value to your time. I didn't do that for too long. And I realized, you know, my blogging wasn't having the ROI I wanted. My podcast, it took a long time for my podcast to have the ROI that I needed. Um, so be like really diligent with tracking everything to work out where you're getting that return on your money, return on your time and that enjoyment. And if you realize, you know, three months into podcasting or three months into blogging or whatever, if you realize that, hey, this doesn't feel fun anymore this makes me feel really heavy, it doesn't make me feel expansive, then maybe it's a sign that you shouldn't be doing that. Ladies and gentlemen, you're listening to the Social Ed Podcast with Steph Taylor. Um, I kind of want to end on mm. this. When, when you look back um, and you think about the stuff you want to do. This is like you, you've, you, you're into the future 20 years now and you look back and you're already grateful for all the things you've done. Mm. What's on that list? I have multiple bestseller novels. I've done a TED Talk. I have been incredibly blessed to travel regularly all over the world I have been able to impact millions of people. I've helped, you know, millions of people like that girl that I was in that corporate job, stuck, questioning, you know, there's got to be more to life than the nine to five. I've been able to help millions of those people to see a bigger life and reach a bigger life. I have the time freedom to spend my days how I want. I have lots of white space in my calendar, I've realized, you know, white space is something I need to be creative. So I have lots of white space. I have time to, you know, walk my dog twice a day, go to the dog park, do yin yoga, do Pilates, all of the things that bring me joy outside of my business. I have time to do all of that. I have the financial freedom to have nice things, enjoy nice meals, live in a beautiful house. Um, and I have the location freedom that if I want to go traveling for a month tomorrow, I can do that. StephTaylor.co mm -hmm. is the website for all future episodes and <laughs> all episodes that have gone past. And Ronsley, tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and what you do because we haven't even talked about you at all I'm not really important this is your show so Ronsley Ronsley Vaz runs an agency called Amplify and a business called We Are Podcast he what's your elevator pitch I'm not going to do it justice <laughs> <laughs> so here's what I'd love I'd love here's the thing I feel like these conversations are so important and I'm blessed to have uh, a platform that I get to meet some phenomenal people, mm -hmm. right? And basically decipher the psychology of our decisions and our decision-making as entrepreneurs. I believe that we all are entrepreneurs. I believe the mothers to be the original entrepreneurs. And um, I've got a show that my team put together and, you know, we put over 40 hours at least per volume that goes out every week. Uh, and it's called The Psychology of Entrepreneurship. And I think that's the bit that I'd love people to check out most, more than anything else. Yeah, guys. So listen to Ronsley's podcast, The Psychology of Entrepreneurship. It's awesome. And thank you so much. This has been so much fun. So weird being interviewed on the other side of the microphone and not being interviewed with the same questions that I get asked in every other podcast interview. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. No, it's been a, it's been a pleasure to actually watch your journey, Steph, like, you know, when I think about, you know, w w from the time I got to know you and see the things that you've been able to achieve, um, sometimes I don't think that you realize the things that you've done. And it's, it's, it's fine because, you know, your career is not done yet. And when your career is done, you can sit back and look at all the trophies. But <laughs> when I look at you, I have incredible respect because, Lots of people talk mm. and look the part. Mm. 
very few people can do the part. And it's only mm. when you meet another doer that you can understand what I'm talking about. But I have incredible respect for you. I, I love your journey and, and um, I'm actually really blessed to be part of your life at this point. Thank you. You make me cry. <laughs> Nobody ever makes me cry. <laughs> oh, thank you, Ronsley. And thank you, thank you so much for your role in my journey as a mentor and you know, like there, the like there was a reason why that day or that time in gravity, I found myself sitting opposite to you, and the universe was like, okay, like this guy's going to be your mentor. So thank you so much. 